Hey, Crossroads, uh, welcome to the 1032 All Church Family Service. And really glad you guys are all together today and wish I was there. I, uh, I'm in training in California um, with um, helping professionals and leaders from all over the world and working on this wonderful discipleship tool, um, spiritual formation tool called the Enneagram. And so looking forward to being home with you next week. But today at the 1032 service, I think you guys were all hoping that someone was going to win that trip to Hawaii. And uh, let me give you a few of the guesses that came in. So you were supposed to look through all 66 books of the Bible and discover if you could find which uh, scripture, 1032, that might be the one we were using today. And uh, first guess was Matthew 1032. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Great scripture. I love it. And to be acknowledged by God, right? Like you're tight. Like God knows you. You know God. Beautiful scripture. Wrong answer. All right. So the next possible guest came in, and it is from Hebrews 1032 and the message. It's really good stuff. Remember those early days after you first saw the light? Those were the hard times. Kicked around in public, targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you, other days your friends. You ever been involved in that where it was you or your friends getting kicked around, uh, maybe because of your faith? And so I know that in our early days, um, I, I did lose some friends because I was making a profession of faith in Christ and I didn't have the same kind of desires that I used to and the things I wanted to do I didn't want to do anymore. And so I felt kind of lonely because um, it was a difficult time. And it wasn't just because of my faith. Sometimes it was just because of my exuberance, you know, like I just kind of got in people's business just a little bit too much. I know you can't imagine that, but I did it. So there were some friends, this goes on to say, went to prison, but you stuck by them. If some enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile. Really cool. So, you know, there's this idea that um, you had this real treasure. Nothing bothered you. Nothing set you back. Um, and so then he starts to say, don't throw it all away now, right? Don't throw it away. And you were sure of yourselves then. Do you remember when you were sure of yourself? I, I remember being sure of myself. <laughs> but here's the deal. It's still a sure thing. Yes. Um, you got to stick it out. Stay with God's plan. So there will be a promise of completion. It won't be long now. He's on the way. He'll show up most any minute. But anyone who is right with me thrives on loyal trust. If he cuts and runs, I won't be happy. We're not quitters who lose out. Oh, no, we'll stay with it and survive trusting all the way. Doesn't that sound awesome? Like, don't you love the people that have stayed with you all the way? Like, nothing can stop their friendship. Do you have friends like that? Do you know people that have said, I'm staying with you all the way? Um, well, God's saying that. What kind of friend are you? Will you stay with me all the way? Uh, will you learn from me how to stay with me all the way, even when it's hard? Don't cut and run. Don't do it. You'll be glad that you didn't cut and run. 
So that's a fabulous scripture, and it leads us to the next scripture, but it's not the right scripture, so sorry <laughs> for the one who guessed that. Our scripture is from 2 Kings 10.32. At about that time, the Lord began to whittle down the size of Israel. So if you know anything about the book of Kings, you know, first and second, there is so much violence. There is just crazy stuff happening all the time. Um, there are social wars. There are religious wars. There are cultural wars. Um, there's racism. There's all kinds of treating people as the other. And so all, the only way you can do that when you start to see somebody as you're not part of me is you cut them off. Whether you do it with physically or you do it in your own heart, you cut them off. And so sometimes we whittle down our lives, like, hey, I'm not with you anymore. I'm going to cut and run. Uh, this is too hard. This relationship is too hard. Or I'm just not, I'm not dealing with you anymore. You know, I'm not playing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down with that. I'm not hanging with you anymore. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Um, we have, Scott and I, uh, and I have to believe so many of you, like, People that you thought would always be with you, and they're not with you anymore. Like, they 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 um, they whittled themselves out of the picture, or maybe you did. Maybe you just were like, done, done, done. Um, or maybe God did it. You know, sometimes God whittles it down for us. You know, uh, so many times we realize, look, I need to clean out my closet. I have, you know. 20 pairs of black shoes and there's people with no shoes. I need to share my shoes. Or maybe you've got these old collections, you know, like old baseball cards or old tennis shoes or old, old coins, Scott. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, you collect these things and you say, you know what, I, I got too much stuff. I can whittle this down. I can give that away. I can, um, I, I can, I can live with less, like simplicity. I don't need all that, you know, or how about with your time? Like I belong to this group and that group and that sport and that situation. And we never have any time to just sit and be people, but because we're running in the car all the time and you might say, you know what, I, I'm going to whittle it down like this fall, rather than being a crazy person, I think I'm going to whittle back some of the things that I'm committed to and just say, I want to whittle down some time and make time for the people I love, make time for the God I love. Make time for the church I love. Um, so you might want to whittle down some time. See, because sometimes we can choose to do it, and then other times God just does it. Like here it says the Lord began to whittle down, you know, like whittle down. Um, sometimes there are relationships in your life uh, that you removed or they removed themselves, and sometimes God just does it. Sometimes God says, hey, that was okay for you in kindergarten, but you're in college now, and that's not serving well for where I want to take you. You know, the way you spent your time there or with those people, um, I've got big things for you. I, I have a plan for your life. And I want you to live in a way that you're fully alive. And hanging out with that set of people, it's not serving you any well, anymore. Sometimes you actually think that those people chose to go, but it was actually God saying, no, no. This, this isn't gonna this is not gonna be good for either of you and sometimes that's hard because there are things like hey we were supposed to hang all the way till the end and God's saying nope I'm whittling it down those people could be with you in this valley but not on this mountaintop 
And in fact, you know, sometimes the pain of the end of those things is really what's going to make you muscular enough to dwell in the heights. You know, sometimes when you feel like, oh my gosh, I cannot make this trek. And I, I, if these people were still here, maybe I could do it. No, God's actually saying, nope, nope. In order for you to develop the muscle you need, I had to whittle down the group you were with, the people that you were hanging with at that time of your life. And so, yeah, it could have been good, um, but it won't be good for the next season. Or maybe it wasn't good ever, and now you actually have the courage to remove yourself and let God whittle it down or whittle it down yourself and have some boundaries and say, you know what? Um, this is about me being faithful to God and all of this over there. It just distracted me from living my best life with God because you know, you've got, you've got this much time on earth, my friends, and your life matters and what you devote yourself to matters. And so, you know, whether you're whittling down how much food you're eating, the people you're spending your time with, the things you're doing, even really good stuff, you got to say, hey, is there time for me to love God and love my neighbor as myself? Like, is there time for me to grow up as a Christ follower, to become the person that God intended before the foundation of the world? I got to tell you guys, I want God to whittle down my life in all the ways God wants to do it. Sometimes it's not easy, but I want to say thank God for the way God has done these things in times past. So Scott's talking about vibrant hope today, and, you know, he is going to give us a way to see how God will remove everything that keeps us from hope. See, this, this life, we've got to have hope. We've got to have hope for this world. And in 2 Kings, they were living a violent life. They were trying to take things in their own hands. You know, to decide who's good, who's bad, who's right, who's wrong, who's in, who's out. And God had an idea. So today, I just want to ask you guys, what do you think God wants to do? So hashtag, whittle it down, friends. Whittle it down so there's hope. I love you all. And I'll be joining you online, and I'll see you um, next week. Bye. Love you too, darling. So, everyone say, whittle it down. So, in spirit of my wife's challenge, she always makes fun of my coin collection. I have brought my coin collection to give it away. I'm giving it to the church. Now, when you guys heard that, you were thinking, oh, it's got to be amazing. So, I'm going to tell you what the big deal is about. This is worth about 30 bucks. Anyway, (laughs) here's some of the highlights of my coin collection. Um... Here's a half dollar from 1941. That's a real keeper. I have an Indian, or I guess it would be a Native American penny from 1898. 1961 proof set of coins. So it's like a 50 cent piece quarter. I actually bought this from the church because the last person that gave it to the church, Jill, Jill looked at me and said, what do we do with this? I said, well, I'll buy it. Let's find out how much it's worth. Like if some fool bought it, um, and I'll give like four times that. So I bought it and I'm giving it back. So I, I just keep losing money on that thing anyway. And then two, I got about 200 wheat pennies and Two full sets of quarters from each state. Here's my coin collection. I humbly bring it to the altar. I am whittling down. I'm taking the challenge. 
And now my wife can no longer bring up my coin collection. Everybody say, whittle it down. I wish she were on video. The, the website went down this morning. She missed that. I hope this is taped so we have evidence. Anyway, I know you guys are proud of me. That was hard. <laughs> oh, the Altoids case. Don't, don't forget the Altoids case. Yeah, so the coins total, I figured about $30 worth, but maybe... Uh, on the open market, somebody like me might give 40 for it. So maybe the church will sell it back to me, and then we'll have this conversation again in another year. <laughs> anyway, I love being sermon illustrations. I never do it to anybody else. I don't know why she would have done that to me. So let's talk about this issue of whittling it down. Um, there's, there's no one in this room, as Claire mentioned, that has not had a whittling season in their life. Uh, Maybe you're in a whittling season right now where you feel like there's things that uh, are reduced in your life for whatever reason, and it's hard, and it's difficult. And I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes um, just about how to process that, how to respond to whittling. There's probably no better story in Scripture than Gideon in the book of Judges. So if you have your Bible, you can open to Judges chapter 6. Uh, and we're going to talk about this just to give you kind of a big piece of whittling that happens for Gideon. Gideon is, and we're going to go through part of this story, uh, not all of it. We may go through the rest of this story uh, next month at the end of August when we're together again. But um, basically, uh, Gideon is encouraged by God to become a deliverer for Israel, for the nation of Israel. And we'll go through that story. But at the end, kind of near the end of the story, what happens is there's this huge whittling that happens. Gideon is put in charge of a 32,000-member army for the Israelites, and then God begins to whittle away at it. And it goes from 32,000 people about to match up with a countless army, countless armies that come against the Israelites, and God continues to whittle away at the army till it gets down to 300 men uh, to do warfare in this battle. And God does amazing things through Gideon's life. So it's a great picture of whittling. But I want to talk about Gideon in a more general sense and connect it to our own story and connect it to the story even of our church. When we have this kind of conversation about whittling, understand, as Claire mentioned, there's For instance, in the life of a church, people that come and go, and there's been times where there's been whittling that has happened here. I had somebody last week come up to me uh, that hasn't been in the church in years. They moved to the West Coast. They were just here on vacation, uh, and they said to me after service, they said, gosh, it just seems like there's less people. And I said, well, there are. And, um, you know, there are less people than there was at a different time, but that doesn't mean that we're not significant, and that doesn't mean that God's not doing amazing things here or in the lives of the people that have come and gone, right? So this is part of the problem that happens is our significance sometimes gets so tied to size or to strength or to certain things, but God looks at things quite different. But I want to talk to us about this issue of whittling. Now, when it comes to Gideon, this is the classic whittling story of Scripture, right? Gideon has pretty much everything in his story. It's a story of resilience, story of fear, story of courage. There's starvation in this story. There's disappointment. There's lack. There's breakthrough. There's deliverance. There's deprivation. There's whittling, certainly. There's hopelessness. Every emotion 
from extreme difficulty to extreme victory is in this story. There's so much to learn. So the point is, how do we, how do you and I, and how do we corporately as a church, how do we best respond to whittling that comes in our life, that always comes in everyone's life at one point or another? Now, we're going to start in Judges 6, but I want to go back to the last verse in Judges 5. Now, to give you a backdrop, Deborah has been in charge. Uh, She is the deliverer. She is the judge uh, in charge of Israel, and they have gone through an amazing time of prosperity. And, and at the end of chapter 5, verse 31, the scripture says this. It says, so the land had rest, some versions say peace, for 40 years. Imagine that. Imagine a whole generation going through rest and peace. No problems, no turmoil. Just try to picture that in your mind. Having, imagine having 40 days like that, but 40 years. Deborah has been heroic, and we come to this place, and this is the cycle that happens, especially in the Old Testament, as you see deliverance happens, and there's rest and peace for a certain amount of time, and then what starts to happen is what we see here in Gideon. Verse 1 of Judges chapter 6, it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. The hands of Midian dominated Israel, and because of Midian, the children of Israel made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. Wherever Israel would plant crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people from the east would come up against them. Then they would make camp by them and ruin the crops of the land all the way to Gaza. So the people literally, the Israelites are literally hiding wherever they can find a decent hiding place, in the mountains, in caves, some versions say in dens, like they're hiding out where wild animals are hiding just to try to stay safe. Then their crops, what would happen is these invading armies would come and and they'd take their crops. Now, those of you that are vegetarians are really starting to feel this. It's like, oh my, all the carrots are gone, all the vegetables are gone, the tomatoes, the zucchini, what are we going to do? All of the stuff that keeps us full for five minutes is gone. Now, the meat eaters, meat eaters aren't feeling so bad yet. It's like, well, this isn't that bad of a story, not too bad, but wait, it's your turn. They did not leave any provisions behind Israel, or that they would make They would make camp, take their crops. Then they did not leave any provisions behind in Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. Now the meat eaters have a problem, right? It's like no meat or wheat. There's neither, nothing. These people are starving for seven years. They came with their livestock and the tents like a swarm of locusts. They and their camels were too numerous to count. Have you ever felt like the enemy is coming in like a flood in your life, and it's more than you can count? And they came into the land to destroy it. And Israel was made weak. More literally, what that is, is impoverished and starving. Israel was made impoverished, weak, and starving before Midian, and they cried out to the Lord. Now, what happens to us sitting in the United States in an air-conditioned building, most of us took a shower this morning, we're well-watered, well-fed, some of us are well-groomed, we, we, and some of us aren't, and then, you know, we, we come into this room and it's hard for us to... Feel it. We, we can look at a story like this and just say, why didn't they just suck it up? Just suck it up and just do warfare back, just fight back. And we're, we're underestimating that in the midst of this kind of oppression, this kind of difficulty, 
this kind of starving for seven years, hiding to have a meal, this kind of humiliation, that oppression and difficulty can do crazy things to people, including us. You can begin to feel hopeless. And the invitation right away is not to say they should just snap out of it. Or why doesn't my friend just snap out of it? Or why don't we just snap out of it? But it's to have grace and compassion on one another. So they're starving. They're hiding. See, this is not just a bad day. This isn't a bad week. This isn't a bad season. This is a bad life. For seven years, they're on the run from the enemy. The nation is in the pits. The warfare is intense. And it's in the midst of that that it's the perfect scenario for God to show up in your life, in mine, and in their life to deliver. Verse 7, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent them a prophet. How do we respond to whittling? First of all, pay attention. It's interesting here, the prophet, whoever this is, whether it's a man or a woman that's a prophet here, we don't know who the prophet is. This is not one of the big name prophets. The people that are putting this story together for us are not even naming who this prophet was. This is a no-name prophet. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the worst moments of my life, when I'm going through the difficult things in my life, I'm looking for a big-name prophet. I want like the people that can really get it done to be the ones that speak into my life, right? I want somebody that's got it together. Claire and I laugh about this. We've got a friend, David Canastrezzi, he's in San Jose, California. David's a beautiful man, has incredible prophetic insight. And David has been here before, and he's just got this incredible accuracy. He's kind of like a big name prophet. Claire and I have laughed at times through our life when we've gone through difficulty and said, we need to invite David out. And we really do need to invite David out, but it's like, we need... We need somebody to speak. We need a big name. We need somebody that we know can get this done. That's that's how it is. It's like, you know how it is. If you've ever been in a meeting or a a situation where there's a prophet and they begin to say, you know, God's showing me this. Those are the kind of people it's like for me, I try to, you know, just subtly and not so subtly get in front of them and say, hey, do you have a word for me? You know, that's how you begin to feel when you're in these bad seasons But this is a no-name prophet. This is not a big name. See, our tendency, and there's nothing wrong with this at a certain level, our tendency is we go to certain speakers, we go to certain certain communicators, we want a big name, we want a big splash, we want a big sign. We position ourselves like Zacchaeus, Jesus is going to walk by. Do not forget, do not forget to pay attention. God speaks to all sorts of people and in all, all sorts of ways. The question for us and the question for Gideon, was he able to hear? And he was. Do you have ears to hear? Pay attention. First thing, story continues. The prophetic word starts from this no-name prophet. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, out of the place of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of Egypt, all your oppressors. I drove them out from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. So again, I don't know about you, but in the worst times of life, in the worst times of life, I want to get futuring. 
Like, I want to be out of this. Like, what can I, I want to, I want a word that gets me forward, moves me forward. And it's interesting, this prophet prophesies, gives the word of the Lord, and it's all about remembering what's already happened. What's happened generations past, which is the second response to whittling, is do not look past God's engagement, former engagement in your life. Look for that past engagement. Psalm 124 says it this way. It says, if it had not been for the Lord who is on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when our enemies attacked us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who has made heaven and earth. So the prophet tells Gideon, look back to your past and check it out and remember with gratitude. See, there's two versions of, all of our past. We all have two versions of our past. There's the version of our past that we want to forget. We'd like to just get rid of that part of our past. But then there's the part of the, our past that is the version that is evidence of God's presence in our life for the whole journey. The prophet is saying here, To Gideon and to us, I delivered you in the past. Do not forget that. It's evidence that I will deliver you again. I am with you in this. And now we hit the turning point of this portion of Scripture. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak tree in Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, belonging to Joash the Abizrite. Gideon, his son, was threshing wheat in a wine press to hide from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That's an oxymoron, right? The guy's hiding in the wine press. How many of you are from big families? Like you grew up in a pretty big family. You'd say, yeah, kind of big family. Or maybe you experienced a big family. Have you ever experienced them? Or maybe you experienced it on grocery day? Like if Saturday's grocery day and all the groceries come in and then all the kids, it's like we, we begin, cause our family was, we weren't like a huge family, but I had huge people in my family that played football. So it was like, what you do is you strategically go to the cupboard and you grab things like Twinkies and you hide them because you store them up like a squirrel. So, you know, he's hiding in a wine press. The dude just wants a meal. He's been starving for seven years and the angel, which is a theophany, this is actually Actually, God speaking to Gideon, the angel shows up and says, look, mighty man of valor. So Gideon says to him, oh Lord, if it is, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? Where's all the miracles that our fathers told us about? They said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Yet now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. How do we respond to the whittling? We respond by, by acknowledging God's power in us. See, Gideon is hiding. He's simply wanting to eat. He's hopeless. He, he's in fear. And the angel shows up and says, mighty man of valor. See, hopelessness in our lives 
To respond to the whittling, hopelessness produces inferior plans. Understand that your hopelessness in mind produces an inferior plan. It does not connect us with the plan God has for us. God's plan is not negotiating with our hopelessness. God will never negotiate with your hopelessness or mine. He'll meet us at our hopeless place, but he doesn't negotiate with it. He calls us up higher. He calls Gideon a mighty man of valor in the midst of his hopelessness and fear. See, it's not like God says, oh, I forgot, you know, I forgot I I need a deliverer, but, oh, that's Gideon. He hasn't eaten in years. He's hiding in a wine press so that he can snack while the armies are swirling around him because he just wants a meal and he's actually hiding from the people that he's got to overcome. It's no mistake that God calls him a mighty man of valor. He pushes him and he pushes us past our inferior plans. And he moves on. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength of yours. Save Israel from control of Midian. Have I not sent you the commission? And he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Gideon is feeling insignificant. To respond to the whittling, you and I must know, always know that you are not insignificant in God's eyes. You were not created to be insignificant. You are a mighty person of valor. You have the strength of God in you. Know that God has amazing plans for your life. See, it's interesting here because when we read this scripture, we say, oh yeah, well, even Gideon says his family's just a bunch of losers. They're just like useless people. I mean, listen, he describes his family. They're the least of everything. He's the youngest of the least. He's the least of the least. But the truth is about Gideon's family is his family is an influential family. It's a respected family. It's a noble family. You notice a few verses earlier, his father's in charge of things. He's got land. His father's actually in charge of the idol worship in the nation. He's not using his influence properly, but he's got influence. This is not the lowly of the low as far as a family. And this is what the enemy does to us. Hopelessness, when it comes into our lives, creates an unrealistic and inaccurate view of our life. We are not seeing how God sees it when hopelessness rushes in like a flood. You may be in the midst of some really heartbreaking things on this day. There may be whittling going on in your life on this day or in this season or in the last seven years. But understand that your view may be skewed and God sees this differently in your life. He's not discounting how hard this is. But God is with us. God is with you. God is with Gideon. You remember uh, when you were in middle school, you know, you go out on the playground uh, and there would be, say you'd say basketball. So there's all this raging hormones going on and stuff. So you're going to pick teams for basketball. And the way that it goes is they always get like the two best players 
uh, in the school. And it's like, you know, Billy and Johnny, they're going to be the captains and they're going to pick. And then there's this natural pecking order that happens, right? They look over the crowd and it's like, I'm going to pick you because you're the fastest or you're the best shooter. You jump higher than everybody else. You're taller than everybody else. And they got this thing. And that's the natural way this progresses. And you pick teams because you want your team to win. If you're the captain, you're picking for your team to win. God is not like that. God looks over at the guy that's out in the field eating the dandelion heads and says, that's my captain right there. Gideon, come here. Yeah. Dandelion head eater. Come on over here. You are in charge. If you want to win a war, you don't pick a guy like this. Comes over. He's got like yellow all over his lips. He doesn't even want to be in the game. And God says, you're the man. Mighty man of valor, come on, let's do this. You are not insignificant. I love Gideon. He asks hard questions. See, some of us, he asks, he asks God, he says, where, where have you been? Where were you the last seven years? What in the world is this about? See, some of us, in order to get through our whittling season, need to have some honest conversations with God. So hard. God is not afraid of your pain. God is not afraid of your questions. Claire and I will counsel people sometimes, and they'll come in and they'll, they'll almost whisper, I am so mad at God. It's like, really, have you, have you told God? No. It's like, well, you have now. <laughs> God can handle your anger. He handles Gideon's anger, his frustration, his doubts, his heartbrokenness, his feeling hopeless. See, because sometimes we rely too much on one another's humanity. Every human ultimately comes to this place. Even the best counselors among us will come to a place where we just say, man, snap out of it, dude. But God goes right into the midst of that question and he hears you say, God, I need you to show up. I don't know what this is about. Trust me, God will show up. If God didn't show up, you and I wouldn't be here today. Gideon's story would not be in the scripture. God shows up in the midst of our hardness and difficulty. God wants us to give God an opportunity to, be, uh, in, to interact with him in the midst of our pain and our journey. You read the scripture, great men and women, and you think about history. Some of the greatest people of faith throughout history have asked the hardest questions of God. And God just doesn't seem to be afraid of those questions. Which leads us to the end here, end of this portion. Then the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and I will strike the Midianites as one man. It's interesting because when we, when we come to a place of hopelessness, when whittling is going on in our life, difficulty, we see things sometimes we don't understand, it's so easy for us to think that our story is a period in a sentence. 
But your life is a story. My life is a story. It is not a period. It is not a sentence. It is not just a paragraph. You have a story that has chapters and volumes and God is writing this story that in this moment you're on a certain sentence and a certain word, but don't get stuck in the sentence. Don't get stuck on the period. Don't get stuck in the whittling. Don't get stuck in that place because the story is being written of you. And God is, yeah. And God is saying, you can do this. I remember when I was a little, I think I was about 13, 14. um, We were living in the Detroit area and our family, we rented, we leased a space in Jackson, this place called Greenwood Acres. It was a campground and you would take your camp out there and leave it. And we would go out there. It was was convenient for us, about an hour from our house. And we'd go out there and it was really kind of cool. It had been like a rock festival. It had been a Midwest version of Woodstock that went sideways or something. I don't know. They turned it into a campground. And it was a cool place. They had just built it when we first got there. And for, you know, my brother Sean, my older brother, my sister, it's kind of a cool place. High school, middle school people, all kinds of stuff to do. Anyway, we're exploring. My brothers and I are exploring uh, one day. And our older brother, Rick, uh, we're going up this hill. And you know how when you're walking up a hill and you kind of get, before you get to the crest of the hill or the mountain, it's like all you see is sky on the other side, right? And Rick looks at Sean and I and he says, watch this. Now, whenever you hear somebody say, watch this, pull out your your phone. I mean, start filming. It's like, especially if it's a middle schooler or high schooler, watch this. It's just film worthy usually. And he takes off running and he goes to the, he just like leaps in the air at the, at what we see as the crest of this hill and just, he's gone. Rick is gone and he's gone for a bit. Sean and I are looking at each other like, maybe there's more food for us now. I don't know. (laughs) And a few minutes later, Rick comes back over the crest of the hill, just like, yes, it was awesome. We're like, well, what? And he says, I don't want you to go up and check out the hill. I want you just to do what I do. Just trust me. I was like, yeah, right. Just trust me. So we take off and we run and we go full tilt and we just jump. And it's on the other side. It's just like, it's, it's kind of like a quarry, but it's sand and it's almost straight down. And for about 50 feet, we're just airbound. And it's like, I hate my brother. I hate my brother. I hate my brother. I hate my brother. And then it's just soft sand, and you kind of just skid into the sand. It's like, yeah, that was awesome. Gideon comes to this place, and we come to this place in our story, and God says, jump. You've got to jump. Mighty person of valor. You don't know what it means. You've got to trust God. You come to these places. I come to these places. God's speaking to us, inviting us to things in the midst of our pain and difficulty at times. And God just wants us to jump. The angel says to Gideon, it's time to jump. Gideon decides to jump in the worst moment of his life. He's risking his life. But the mighty man of valor uses inadequacy and lack, hopelessness and fear as no excuse. He jumps. 
to respond to your whittling in mind, it's time for us to jump to the next thing. Time for us to jump over the crest of that hill that we're invited to. It might just be a scary hill because it's so good. You're almost tentative because you're thinking, I don't want to jump out of this space. But remember, you're in a story. And this begins a domino effect of the deliverance of Israel in the most profound way. God moves and God is waiting to move in our lives too. So why don't we stand as our worship team leads us in a song and just receive God's goodness for the invitation in your life and mine and for the invitation of this church to be the prophetic delivering voice that God's invited us to be.
lift our hands to you. We adore you, God. We bring any hopelessness, any fear. We bring the whittling that goes on in our life. We bring it to you. We raise our hands or hold our hands open on this day and receive the blessing of deliverance for our own life. We receive deliverance in Jesus' name all around this room. God, we uh, receive deliverance to give deliverance. We pray, Lord, that you would help us bring deliverance to people in bondage and captivity. Help us to be those kinds of people. And God, we raise our hands, we hold our hands open to you that we would deliver nations. Father, we, we realize our inadequacy. We pray that you would give us the strength to partner with your adequacy. So I bless my friends on this day, whatever they're carrying, whatever they're rejoicing in, whatever they're struggling in, whatever they're walking in, I pray that they would carry out the fact that they are mighty people of valor into the community. I bless them with the greatness that you've instilled in each one of them. I bless them with it. I pray they would be aware of it. I pray that they would be blessed on this week, during this week, to know and knowing that they're carrying your presence with them. And we ask this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. You guys are awesome.